Good morning. How's everyone doing today? All right. Well, hopefully you'll be doing better here in about, you know, an hour and a half after I'm done speaking. Uh, joke. Okay, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hardwood of the cross so that all might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who don't know you into the knowledge and love of you. All for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Man, my name's Austin. So excited to be with you today. As Gabe said, it's Life Group Launch Sunday. And so what that means is starting today, over the next 13 weeks, across all of our campuses, our life groups are going to start meeting. Uh, People are going to get connected. People will come to know Jesus. People will uh, follow Jesus in water baptism. People will get baptized in the Holy Spirit. People will be healed. Lives will be changed. Homes will be restored all in the next 13 weeks. And I'm excited about that. This happened, I know that's going to happen because it happens every semester. And it's going to happen again. And we're going to see more and more come. And it's going to be great. Uh, If you're new here, I need you to know a few things, okay? First thing is I am not the principal communicator here, okay? I'm not the senior pastor. I'm not the campus pastor. Uh, Although I'm, I'm tall and skinny and my hair is kind of curly, I don't have the epic afro of our senior pastor. Uh, pastor Dwayne is still with Han and Jacob and their family. As many of you know, or uh, Han and Jacob welcomed their fifth child, and there were some complications with the delivery. Uh, and we have seen God do some incredible things, some miraculous things. Uh, there are still some mountains that need to move, though. So uh, if you want to keep tabs on what's going on there, you can do so through uh, the Facebook group. And there's a prayer that's posted there that you can join with uh, the church at, across the world, uh, across all of our campuses, as we continue to pray for them. Uh, also, I didn't ask for permission to share this. I probably should have, but I'm just going to do it. Uh, Pastor Zach and Serena had their baby yesterday. So we're excited for them. It was, it was their fifth child as well. Uh, my wife and I have four kids, so I tell you what, church leadership is doing their part to grow this church, okay? We're pulling our weight. Honestly, it's probably the most enjoyable form of church growth as well, if I'm just being real. Uh, if you don't get it, it's fine. Let it go. Uh, I heard a guy one time say, you know, people ask me what it's like to have four kids, and I tell them, imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. So yeah, but, but kids are a blessing. Uh, they really are. Uh, we've been in this series on children as arrows. How many of you have enjoyed that? Okay, it's been great. Uh, if you weren't here for that, you can check that out on our website or app. You don't want to miss out on the teachings there. They were awesome. Uh, so yeah, we have, we have four kids, full house, and we are done at four. We're done at four. Uh, praise God. So, okay, enough laughter. It's time to get serious, okay? Uh, no joke, we had a guy one time leave one of our, our locations in the middle of a service, and someone on the host team asked him, like, 
hey, you know, we're like, you okay? Did we do anything wrong? And he said, there's just too much laughter here. And if, if you don't think there should be laughter at church, we love you. You're probably not going to enjoy it here, though, okay? Because we like to laugh. Uh, this is family, and it's, it's where we have fun together, and we learn and we grow together as well. So we're going to start in Romans 12, verse 13. Romans 12, 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Always be eager to practice hospitality. That's what I want to talk with you this morning about, is being ready and eager to practice hospitality. Because a simple invitation can make a big difference. A simple invitation can make a big difference. We all want to make a difference, right? Uh, that's an innate thing that's ingrained in us is this desire to make a difference. That's one of the things for, as a church that we want for every person who's, who's part of this church. We want them to know God. We want them to experience victory. We want you to discover your purpose, and we want to help you make a difference. Everyone wants to make a difference. And a small invitation, a small simple invitation can make a big difference. Have you ever felt left out before? Have you ever felt like an outsider? Like you, you, were, you didn't belong or you weren't welcome? And you, so desperate, like you, you, you just so badly wanted to be included in what was going on. But yet you found yourself an outsider. About a year ago or so, we had one of our baptism services. And we had the, the children's area set up, much like the foyers set up today. We had games and activities that families and people could go and uh, engage in after the service. Uh, we had a photo booth set up just like we do today. If you haven't checked that out, go check it out. Uh, and we had all that set up, and we're, I'm there, and I'm, I'm talking to people, and I'm connecting. And out of the corner of my eye, I start to see something happen that distracts me a little bit. Uh, so my, my job here at the church is I'm the campus administrator, so a lot of my work is behind the scenes. So if I'm talking to you during a service and I look incredibly distracted, I'm so sorry. Uh, there's probably something going on that shouldn't be going on. Um, so I'm, I'm talking to somebody, and I see something going on, and there's this group of uh, about three girls who are about 14 years old in age, and I don't know how much memory they have on their cell phones but my goodness, uh, it was enough to handle the amount of selfies that they were taking because they were blowing their phone up. And this group of girls, they were laughing together and they were taking pictures uh, together as a group and they were having fun. And that's not really out of the ordinary, okay? That's kind of typical these days for 14-year-old girls. Uh, but what did catch my eye was there was another girl, just a couple years younger than probably about 12 or so. And I know this girl, and she's incredibly sweet and precious. And she was, she was so obviously wanting to be included in what was going on. Uh, she was walking up to the group, and as one of them would tell a joke, she would laugh the loudest at the joke. And she would put her, her arm around the other girls, and she would mimic and mirror their body language. And as the group went to take a picture by the wall, she would kind of get over there close to and pose with them and when she did, the camera would kind of tilt a little bit and take her out of frame or it would be put up. And 
I mean, it was so obvious that this girl just wanted to be included. And I'm watching this, and she had taken a break from her efforts, and she walked over, and we had some index cards laying out where where people could go and write something or write a hashtag or whatever that they want to hold up and take a a picture with, uh, with their friends. So she walks over to the stack of index cards and begins to to write something. Uh, she writes it, and then she takes the card, and this, this photo booth is just kind of like a, a curtain that's hanging up. She takes it, and she walks behind the curtain, and it's just transparent enough to where you can kind of see her silhouette and see what she's doing, and she's standing behind this curtain. She's standing behind this wall with her index card just holding it up like this. So on, on one side of the wall, you have this group of girls who are continuing to laugh and continuing to have fun. Uh, and then on the other side of this wall, you have this girl who's holding up this index card. So some time passes by, and an adult walks by, and uh, I don't know, maybe out of safety, con- safety concerns or something, asks the child to please step out from behind the curtain. And so she does, and when she does, she walks over and she takes her index card, and she, she lays it down. Now, at this point, I either ask to be excused from the conversation or I just straight up walk away from the conversation. Uh, So if that was you, I'm sorry. But I had to know what was written on that card. So I walk over, and this is is the actual card. Uh, I keep it pinned up in my my office to remind me. But I, I pick up this card, and I read this. I read, hashtag left out. And my reaction to it is very similar to what most of you are feeling right now. Uh, A deep sense of compassion and empathy for this little girl. Why? Why do we feel that way? I mean, you you don't even know who I'm talking about. And unless her parents are in the room and really good at identifying handwriting from a distance, no one knows who I'm talking about. But yet we, we still have this same response. Why? It's because we know what it's like to be left out. We know what it's like to be the outsider. To want desperately to be included, to be invited into something. You know, maybe for you, you're going back to a childhood memory. But this feeling isn't exclusive to just children. You know, even as adults, we can find ourselves in these situations. So because we, we know what it's like to be the one on the outside, we, we have this sense of compassion for this girl. But that's not the only thing, that's not the only reason I keep this hanging up in my office. It's because it, it also stopped me in my tracks because I had to ask the question, God, are there areas in my life that I'm, I'm not like the one who's left out? But I'm, I'm more like the clique. I'm more like the other girls who ignored the one who wanted to be included. I ignored the outsider. I mean, th- it was, these girls did not acknowledge her whatsoever. It was as if she didn't even exist. And I had to ask myself, God, in what areas of my life am I the one who's on the inside? that's being exclusive, that's 
pretending like the people around me don't exist. That because they might be an inconvenience, I would rather just ignore them. In those moments when you felt left out, what would the impact have been for you to have been invited? It would have been huge. It would have meant the world to you. Why? Because a simple invitation can make a big difference. And we have to be aware of the times when we're not the one that's being left out, but we're the ones on the inside. We're the ones enjoying ourselves and having a good time when the people around us are holding up the sign and we're just ignoring them. And Paul addresses this in Ephesians 2. Chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Don't forget that you Gentiles, which are non-Jewish people, it's us, unless you're Jewish in here. We could have someone Jewish in here. So for all the non-Jews, Gentiles, that's us, uh, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. Uh, I'm not going to explain what that means, uh, nor would I, normally, you know, we'd say like Google it. I don't encourage you to Google that either. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you when you're old enough. Uh, called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you didn't know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, But now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. So here we have Paul, the the guy who laid the theological framework for our understanding of our new identity in Christ. The guy who said things like, we're dead to our sin, dead to our trespasses, and we're made alive in Christ. The guy who said, the old things have passed away, and behold, all things have been, been, been made new. This guy is telling us to not forget that we were once outsiders. Why? Because strange things can happen when outsiders become insiders who forget what it's like to be an outsider. You know, maybe go... Let's go back to your, your childhood. Did you ever see this play out, either uh, watching someone else or maybe you encountered it yourself where you and a friend, you weren't in the in crowd, but at least you had each other? You know, like, like you're not in the in crowd, but at least you, you had a friend. At least you had each other. And then your friend one day gets invited to come and sit at the cool kid table. And what happens is like behind closed doors, you know, y'all are still friends, but then strange things start to happen. And whenever you're in front of others, your friend starts to act like, he starts to treat you like how the cool kids treated you, uh, where your friend now starts to pretend like you don't exist. We cannot afford to forget what it's like to be an outsider. Because weird things happen when, when insiders, when outsiders become insiders who forget what it's like to be on the outside. 
They don't acknowledge the outsiders. In fact, they, they may start to pick up the same behaviors, the same language as the insiders. Man, I, I don't know about you, but when I, think of, I, when I think of where I would be without Jesus, I would be the worst of all. There, it keeps you humble when you remember that you used to be an outsider. We cannot afford to forget what it's like to be an outsider. Because if I'm being, if I'm being real with you, in the flesh, without Jesus, I will lean towards being exclusive. Um, I'll lean towards being the exclusive insider. And as I started to, to learn and come into some awareness of that, a few things played into that. Uh, one was I got around inclusive people. And uh, how many of you know Pastor Micah? Okay, Pastor Micah, he was the youth pastor here for a little bit. He and his wife Callie are now in Boswell. They're, uh, they're serving the church there. Pastor Micah and I became friends. Okay, Pastor Micah is an incredibly inclusive person. Okay, so here's what would happen is we would plan something and he'd come up and say, hey, I invited so-and-so, is that okay? And I'm like, no, no, it's not okay. If I, if I wanted them to come, I would have invited them. I don't want them to come because they annoy me. But yet he was continually inclusive. And whenever I found out that I was going to be speaking this weekend, I, I called Micah and I said, okay, Micah, are you aware that you're an incredibly inclusive person? He said, yes, I am. I said, good. Okay, why? And without any like preparation or anything like that, he said, because I care more about involving the people who are, and he, he literally said, left out. I care more about involving the people who are left out and inviting them in than I do about the inconvenience it may cause me. I'm like, so Michael, what are you doing Sunday morning? Uh, I may have an opening for you. See, I, I realized that the biggest hindrance for me being hospitable was my selfishness. See, you can't be hospitable and self-centered at the same time. Can't be. Yet we're instructed to to eagerly seek to be hospitable, to practice hospitality. We're told this. It wasn't a suggestion. Okay? Jesus, like God kind of told us to do this, to seek to be hospitable. And we can't be hospitable and self-centered at the same time. It doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. So it was getting around inclusive people that made a difference to me. And it was also starting to take, I started to take Jesus seriously. I wish I could say that the transition for me happened whenever I started to follow Jesus, uh, but that wouldn't be true. See, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I was around Christianity my entire life. I've, I knew Jesus, and, and I was even a, a, uh, like a card-carrying Christian. Despite all that, though, I was still self-centered. And I was still 
exclusive and I didn't practice the radical hospitality that Jesus practiced. It wasn't until I realized that Jesus isn't just my eternal life insurance agent, but he's actually the boss. He's the model for us to follow. It was whenever I started taking Jesus seriously and I started reading the scriptures not as a, uh, not as a, a feel-good drug, but I started reading them as an instruction manual for how to live my life. That I realized, man, Jesus practiced radical hospitality. Do I? So ask yourself that question. Jesus practiced radical hospitality. Do you? Jesus was constantly on the lookout for the left out. And we have to follow his example. Paul describes the example that Christ set before us in Philippians 2. It says this. It says, don't sweet talk your way to the top. I love that. See, we think that it's like we've got to take matters in our own hands. If we want to get ahead in the world, we've got to make our way to the top and we've got to do it on our own. He says, don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. That is so contrary to society today. If you want to be, society says, if you want to be successful, make people rungs in the corporate ladder. Do whatever it takes, step on whoever you have to step on to be successful. Because no one's going to go out and get it for you. You've got to be a self-made person. But he says, put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Man, come on. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. To be hospitable is to be selfless. And to forget yourself long enough to acknowledge the person who's on the other side of the wall. Who's on the other side, holding up, left out. And to be willing to forget yourself long enough to invite them in, despite what it may do to your status. Despite what it may do to your reputation. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. No, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took upon himself the status of a slave becoming human. That's how Jesus practices radical hospitality. Though he is God of the universe. He puts aside the privileges of deity. He puts aside his status and his need to impress others. And we see him interact with the most unlikely people. We see him constantly around the outsiders. It's like the Gospels continue to highlight these stories of when Jesus is talking to someone that he shouldn't talk to. When he's constantly inviting in someone that shouldn't be invited in. Why? It's because the Gospels are trying to tell us something. They're trying to show us something. And when you make the decision that Jesus, you have to be more than just my eternal life insurance agent, but I want to learn your ways. 
teach me your ways. Radical hospitality is, is in the lineup for you. Because Jesus practiced radical hospitality, and so should his church. There are so many examples that we could, that we could highlight from the scriptures of how Jesus practiced hospitality. But I want to highlight this one particular one. And it's the story of Zacchaeus. Okay, I tried to get Kylie up here to sing how Zacchaeus was a wee little man <laughs> in a sycamore tree, but he, he denied my request. It's fine. I'm not offended by it. Uh, I also kind of wanted to show the world that Kylie and I aren't the same person. Uh, so not a week goes by that I don't get complimented on how well I sing, uh, which I would love that to be true, but it's not. Uh, when your own mother tells you that you can't sing, uh, you know you can't sing. Okay, listen, tell your kids the truth. If they can't do something, don't lie to them and tell them they can and he just thought we were done with children's, children's eras. Here we are. We're still talking about parenting. Don't lie to your kids. That would have been embarrassing for me to be up here and think that I could sing only for Kylie to tell me I couldn't. So point number three, Kylie and I aren't the same person. Please make sure you get that in your notes. Uh, moving on. So the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, we find it in Luke 19. And uh, so Luke 19 comes at the end of, of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem from chapters 9 to 19. Jesus has set his face and uh, he, has made his, he is making his way to Jerusalem for the last time. Uh, so let's check this out. Luke 19, verse 1. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for Jesus was about to pass his way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they being the, the crowd, they all grumbled. He's gone to be with the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus just stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. So I want to highlight a few things from this story for us. First of which is, like I said, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, Jericho is about a day's travel away from Jerusalem. So he is about to enter into what the church refers to as Holy Week. Uh, the week leading up to the events of uh, the, the betrayal, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So I think it's safe to say that Jesus has a lot on his mind. Have you ever had one of those weeks where there's just a lot of stuff going on? You got a lot on your mind? I've had one of those weeks. So Jesus has a, he's, 
he's about to step into a, a really big time. And he's, as, as he's just making his way there, he's, I'm sure he's trying to focus, but he's being pushed and pulled by this crowd. Everywhere he goes, there's a crowd because the fame of who Jesus is has spread at this point. Everywhere he goes, there's a crowd. You know, like in those, those times when you feel pushed and pulled and stretched, you kind of want some alone time, right? So everywhere Jesus goes, he's being pushed and pulled by the crowd, and there are so many demands being made on him. But yet in this time of having so many demands, Jesus, because he spent his time with the Father that morning, is able to discern the demand at hand. And as he's walking, no doubt the crowd, everyone there is hoping that Jesus will, will acknowledge him, right? Have you ever been like in a place with someone well-known and you're like, man, if maybe they'll notice me. Maybe in some way they'll acknowledge me. They'll have a word for me. I'm, I'm sure that the crowd is there hoping, they're wanting to get close to him so that they can be acknowledged. And they're probably showing their perfect church attendance records, all their badges and their merits. And yet, in the midst of all of this, who is it that Jesus acknowledges? The outsider. See, Zacchaeus is an outsider of outsiders. He wasn't only a tax collector, he was the chief tax, tax collector. Okay, which means he is one of the most despised people in the city. See, the way that these tax collectors worked is they were seen as, as uh, people that, had, that were constantly defrauding others. What they'd do is they'd come to you and say, hey, you owe the Roman government this much money, and they would tell you that you owe more than you actually do, and they would pocket the margin. And so they would build up their own wealth on the backs of others and defrauding others, lying to them and cheating and stealing, and so... These people were seen as, as, I mean, the worst of the worst. So much so that they were excluded from temple worship. They were considered to be outside the family of Abraham. They were, complete, they were renounced. And so, despite all of what Zacchaeus has going against him, he has one thing going for him, and it's that he desperately wants to see Jesus. He's fascinated by who Jesus is. And that kind of sinner is probably more common than you and I think. There are people in our city that may live terrible lives and you may think are the scum of the earth, but they desperately want to see Jesus. They may not be ready to come to church, but they're fascinated by who Jesus is. So Jesus making his way, everyone's wanting Jesus to acknowledge them, but Jesus acknowledges the most unlikely person in the crowd. Zacchaeus, the one that the, the crowd tried to push away to the outside. He's the one that Jesus acknowledges. And Jesus acknowledges him, and he calls him by name. I don't know how he knew his name. I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about here, okay? 
Maybe it's because that's how infamous Zacchaeus was. Maybe it's because Jesus is the Son of God. I don't know. But despite the fact that Zacchaeus is wealthy and well-known, there's something missing in him. And he knows this. And he's willing to do an embarrassing act and climb up a tree, even though he is a prominent man, he climbs up a tree. You know the, the two most desired, like the two biggest goals for people in my generation are to be wealthy and to be famous. Zacchaeus has them both, yet still he's found wanting. So much of our lives we spend trying to either find fame or find wealth, but when you do, you'll find that it's not enough. Zacchaeus was found wanting, and he desperately wanted to see Jesus because he had heard who Jesus was. He heard what he was like. He, these rumors of how Jesus engaged with sinners and outsiders had spread. And it whet his appetite. You know, church, if, we're, if we act like Jesus, we should make sinners hungry, not angry. So Jesus acknowledges Zacchaeus, and he sees, you know, I'm sure it was uh, out of the ordinary. Uh, I mean, a man in an Armani suit climbed up in a tree. I'm sure it would stick out. I mean, he was incredibly wealthy. And so Jesus acknowledges him by name, says, come down. So Zacchaeus, the outsider, gets face to face with Jesus. And Jesus could have done anything in this moment. He could have performed the most amazing miracle. He could have read his mail. But what did he do? He extended a simple invitation. He was hospitable. He could have done anything, but what he chose to do was practice hospitality. And he extended a simple invitation. Why? Because he knows that a simple invitation can make a big difference. Now, tell the person sitting next to you and say, don't try this at home. Okay? The type of invitation that Jesus extended was he invited himself over. He invited himself over. And just that simple act of hospitality, what was the result? What was the difference that it made? He didn't preach a sermon. He didn't do it. He just simply invited, extended an invitation. And Zacchaeus said, okay, half of what I, I own, I'll give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I mean, you know how these accounting errors can happen. This was before QuickBooks. You know, there may have been uh, just some errors. You know, and if I have any of those errors, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pay them back, not just twofold, like it was required. I'll pay them back fourfold. And Jesus looks at him, and he restores, he welcomes him in, and he restores his identity. He said, today salvation has come to this house. It's one of only two times that we see Jesus using the word salvation in the gospel. So today salvation has come to this house. For this man is a son of Abraham. He restores his identity. He says, for I have come, the son of man has come. To seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus is still on that mission. 
He is still out to seek and to save that which is lost, to reach out to the outsider, to, to look out for the left out. Jesus is still on this mission. The way he is doing it is through his church. That's you and I. He still desires to seek and to save that which is lost. See, the point of hospitality is to show people Jesus. He's the one who saves them, not us. That's why we practice hospitality. It's more than just a smile. It's more than just a my pleasure. It's showing people Jesus. I want to share with you a story of how through just a, a simple invitation, one of our life group leaders made a difference in a man's life. If you would, go ahead and turn your attention to the screens. A lot of people were willing to pass by him and say, hey, Jesus loves you. But one person, so this white Polish woman that doesn't, she's not even fluent in Spanish, stops and doesn't just say Jesus loves you, but she shows him the love of God. This all started through a simple invitation. Because a simple invitation can make a big difference. When was the last time that you invited someone in? Again, not, you know, maybe someone's ready for church, but they may not be. When was the last time you invited someone in and were willing to share your life with them? To take them out for a meal? She, she kind of let the cat out of the bag on our secret behind life groups. She said, at the very least, he'll learn some English. But at the very greatest, someone will meet Jesus. See, that's what, that's what life groups are about. Whether it's life groups or just relationship, if it's just lunch, are you following Jesus' model of radical hospitality? Are you willing to extend the invite and welcome the outsider in? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You, you get rejected? I mean, where would you and I be if Jesus gave up after the first time he got rejected? So what if you get rejected? It's worth it. It's worth it. See, you and I don't have the luxury of rejecting Jesus on the behalf of others. It's our job to pick up the mission of Jesus and to go and seek and save that which is lost. And through hospitality, we show people Jesus. You know, at the very least, we're going to get together and play basketball. But at the greatest. We build a relationship that can handle the weight of truth and you're willing to open up about the struggles that you face and you find freedom. You know, at the very least, we're going to get together and we're going to learn how to crochet. 
but at the very greatest, you open up about the, soul, the wounds on your soul and you allow Jesus access to parts of your life that you've never given him access to before and you watch him heal you. At the very least, we're going to share a meal, but what I'm really hoping is that your, your home and your family and your marriage is going to be restored. That's what Life Groups is about. It's breaking down the walls of hostility with the radical hospitality of Jesus. Again, you know, maybe today, for whatever reason, you, you're not in the place to where you're, you're willing to say, I'm ready to lead a group. Just be hospitable. Extend an invitation. I grew up in this town my entire life, and I, a church of this size never had someone invite me to church here. Church, we have to be eager and ready to show hospitality. Because whether you know it or not, you have more than you think you do. That, that woman doesn't even speak Spanish. But she was willing to invite others in. And now the city that she lives in and the surrounding cities are handing out flyers to her life group, to all the Spanish-speaking families in the school. And we're talking about 80,000 people in this population. All because someone was willing to share their life. We as a church have more than we think you do. See, after you've been on the inside for a while, you forget how good you have it. And although we're not perfect, and although we make mistakes and we may mishandle situations, our church has more to offer than we think. The message of grace changed my life. So this week, you're going to run into people. You're going to run into people who are holding this up. You're going to run into people who are in this place. And you're going to have the opportunity to extend a simple invitation. Will you do it? I mean, if we do this, if we do this one simple act, and what are the ramifications? What lives will we see touched? What, what stories will we hear come of it? If we just are willing to extend a simple invitation, because a simple invitation makes a big difference. I'm going to pray here in a little bit, and Pastor Randy's going to come up and close us, and he's going to give you a few details about today, but if you're willing to start a group, you don't have to have everything together. You have to be willing to open up and share your life with others, and there are going to be times where it's messy why? Because, because we're dealing with people here. And people are messy, but they're worth it. Amen. Join with me as we pray. Jesus, you have shown us what it's like to welcome in the outsider. Because we were once on the outsider, but you have broken down the wall of hostility through your hospitality, and you have welcomed us in. I pray that we would do the same, that we would look out for the left out, 
that we would welcome the outsiders in and that we would share our life with others. In Jesus' name.